You ever heard of the guy named Mike Rowe? He does, he does this show called Dirty Jobs, or he did the show, I think it ended this year. Now basically, he looked and he said, you know what, I don't think that our culture celebrates like hard work enough. So he just wants to highlight those jobs that most people look at and say, you know, I don't think I would want to do that. Okay, and then he goes and he shows up and he gets on the work crew and they train him how to do the job and they're filming the whole thing and, and he's going, he's learning all these jobs, these hard jobs that most people want to, don't want to do anything to do. They're, they're jobs that deal with our garbage, the type of jobs that deal with our sewage, the, the type of jobs that help a cow turn into hamburger, uh, the kind of jobs where chicken gets into cellophane. You don't really know how it happens, but then when you see the process and you see everything that goes into it, you look at it and you say, oh man, I don't know if I could do that, right? These are, these are dirty jobs that we look at and we say, hey, we understand that somebody has to do them. Like if they don't get done, our culture, society would kind of break down, fall apart. We need this stuff done, but not a whole lot of people really want to sign up to be the people to do them. Well, we take a step back, we understand that. If you take another step back, though, and you look into the scriptures, one of the things we understand is, well, we're all dirty people. You know, I mean, Paul writes and he says that for a righteous person, someone might die. I mean, for a good person, maybe someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that when we were sinners, when we were enemies of God, when we were dirty, that Christ died for us. And so you get a hint of that even in the Christmas story, even in this narrative, because the first people really invited to uh, the, the birth scene, to the nativity scene, the per- first people who get the birth announcement to come and see are shepherds, dirty, stinky shepherds. Let's check it out this morning. It, we'll look at Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Luke 2, 8 through 20. Luke writes, And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Shepherds. I mean, really, shepherds, when you think about it, these were the last people that you would expect to show up at the nativity scene. Shepherds, I mean, who would invite shepherds to a magnificent, just holy scene such as this? Surely we wouldn't. You know, if we were back in the first century uh, there, we would not have wanted shepherds at the birth of our child, we, much less the birth of the Christ child, the Messiah. We wouldn't have wanted anything to do with shepherds. In fact, if shepherds were there, 
you and I wouldn't have wanted to be. If shepherds were there, I would have gone over to Steph and been like, hey, Steph, you see the shepherds? There's shepherds here. Let's keep the kids close, and maybe we can find an escape route at some point, get out of here as soon as we can. We wouldn't have wanted anything to do with the scene if shepherds were there. You know, sometimes we miss that in our nativity scenes today. We, we want the shepherds there, right? I mean, it's, it kind of helps create the scene. We look at these shepherds as these friendly guardians standing there with robes on and staffs in hand and looking over the shoulder of Mary and Joseph into the manger and seeing sweet baby Jesus there. We like the shepherds. But make no mistake, if you were in the first century, you wouldn't have wanted anything to do with shepherds. They had quite a reputation, you know. You're hearing this and you're thinking, of all people, really? You're inviting shepherds to the birth of the Messiah? It doesn't quite make sense. It doesn't make sense for a couple of reasons. One, well, shepherds, they spend all their time outside with sheep, okay? Sheep were stinky animals. And really, have you ever been to a petting zoo? Right? Sheep are unimpressive animals, you know. I mean, you don't really look at them and like, oh, I wonder if they're going to do a trick for us or something. There's no people around that have ever trained a sheep to do anything, right? They're, they're kind of dumb animals, and they smell really bad because all the stink just kind of gets trapped in their wool. In fact, by the time wool gets on you or me, you know, we want that stuff processed and gone through like a whole lot. We want it as far away from the sheep as possible before we're putting it on because they're stinky, they're smelly, they're unimpressive animals, and the shepherds, by just tending them, are stinky, smelly people, and the people of the day would say unimpressive people. That kind of gets to the second reason, you know, they were so dirty that they were not invited to any of the religious ceremonies of the day. They were considered unclean. So everything that marked you as a faithful follower of God, everything that demonstrated that you were devout in your relationship with, with God, well, the shepherds had none of that. Right? They, they were excluded from temple worship. They were unclean. They were not invited to any of the festivals and the celebrations in all of this. They were looked at essentially as unbelievers. And because of this, one of the, one of the things that this led to is, the, is, by and large, the shepherds being a very transient people. You did have some villages where shepherds would just stay, and they would kind of be the village shepherds, but they were bottom of the totem pole. Okay, you didn't, uh, it, was, it was the worst kind of thing. And so by nature, most shepherds were transient, moving from village to village, town to town, watching the sheep as they could, as they would be hired. And in doing so, uh, they earned a reputation. Everybody kind of looked at the shepherds coming in, and they kind of had their eye on them, because shepherds were known to steal, and they were also known to lie. Uh, so much so that their testimony was invalid in a court of law. Okay, so if you, if some crime was committed against you and the only witness you had was a shepherd, you didn't have a witness at all because their testimony meant nothing. These were dirty people. These were ceremonially unclean people. You don't want these kind of people vouching for you anyway. We don't want them standing up for us. We definitely don't want to invite them to the birth of our child, much less the birth of the Christ child. They're much too dirty for that. And yet, when the Messiah is born and God sends his angelic messenger with this unbelievable invitation to come and to see the birth of baby Jesus, the message goes to shepherds. Shepherds of all people, shepherds. And you're looking at this, you're thinking, why? Why? Because even when they go and tell me, who's going to listen to them? 
I mean, can they really be trusted in what they're, what they're saying? Are they trained for this? They have no theological education or anything like that. They haven't even been to temple. Who's going to listen to what they say? We won't even listen to them in a court. Why shepherds? They feel much too dirty. Are they even ready for this? Why give them this privilege? That's what we think logically if you were living at this time. Well, to kind of answer that question, uh, one of the things about these particular shepherds outside of Bethlehem is uh, most scholars uh, agree on the fact that they probably were looking after a special kind of sheep. And that is the sheep that would be used for sacrifices, okay? Sacrificial sheep. And these were the most valuable sheep of the day. They're the most profitable sheep of the day. And so it, it, the shepherds, they had to pay careful attention to these sheep. Because if they broke a bone, if they had any mark, any scratch, they had to be without blemish. So if anything happened to them, they would no longer be useful for sacrifices. All right? If an, if an animal, a predator attacked them and now there was a mark on their body, uh, no good for sacrifices. If they fall into a pit, they break a leg, something, no good for sacrifices. At that point, you just become leather, a piece of meat, wool. I mean, that's, that's it. And these are the special sacrificial sheep. But understand something. As the shepherds are protecting these sheep, these sacrificial sheep, the sacrifices will never be for them, you know. They're, they're sacrifices that other people will make. They're protecting uh, the sheep that other people will use for sacrifices, that other people will use for their devotion for God, but not, not to their own, not for, their, not for themselves. And now here he is, the Lamb of God, who's going to take away the sin of the world and his birth announcement is given to shepherds. The excluded, the, the dirty, the, the untrustworthy, the unrighteous. And it's interesting because Jesus is born in a manger. You know, if he were born in the temple, only the religious could come in, you know. Only the clean could gather in and see this thing. But he's born in a manger, so that shepherds are able to approach, they're able to draw near, they're able to see the Christ child. So as the Bible tells us, one night the shepherds are out, they're tending the flock by night. Uh, the sheep are probably sleeping, and so the shepherds are probably taking turns by the campfire, some staying awake, just keeping an eye, making sure no predators are approaching, and the other shepherds are probably sleeping, taking a nap. This is their time to, to, to rest. And here comes Gabriel the angel from God, with this message. And the first thing he says is, don't be afraid. You ever notice that whenever an angel says, don't be afraid, or Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's always too late, right? They're, they're already afraid. You know, and you can imagine the shepherds, I mean, they're scared to death. Here's an angel just appearing out. I mean, they'd seen a lot of things in the fields, right? Watching the, watching the sheep. I'm, I'm sure they've seen a lot, but they've never seen anything like this. And it's an angelic message. And they're saying, don't be afraid. It's kind of like when you're a kid and uh, you, you get a note saying, hey, the principal wants to see you in your office, in her office. You're never thinking, I bet she's discovered what a wonderful student I am. You know, she, she probably just wants to really tell me how great I am. No, no, that's not what you're thinking. You go, what did I do wrong? Or, you know, how, what am I involved in? You know, it's like the boss walking by and saying, hey, I want to see you in my office. Hey, you're never thinking, oh, man, I bet I'm going to get a raise. You know, it's going to be a promotion. This is going to be great. No, you're thinking, what did I miss? What did I do wrong? What are they going to add to my plate? Like, what, what else is coming? And so here is an angel with a message for shepherds. And they know themselves, you know. 
they know their character. They know they're untrustworthy. They know the lives they've told, the things they've stolen. They know all this. And now God wants a word with them. You can imagine they're afraid. Uh, I, don't, I don't think when a, uh, Gabriel shows up, they're thinking, all right, now heaven is taking notice of us, right? There he's coming. He's going to tell us something really. No, no, no. They're afraid. They're afraid just as you and I would be because we know ourselves. They knew themselves. Society had reminded them of their position and their status time and time again. They didn't need, need anyone to tell them they were dirty. They knew they were dirty. And so here is uh, Gabriel and the message for the shepherds. And the, the angel, Gabriel, he begins and, and he says, uh, I bring you good news of great joy that is for you, for you. This day in the city of David, a Savior has been born. You catch that? For you. You know, nothing had really ever been for them before. Everything they did even was for other people. They, they watched sheep so that other people could make sacrifices. Those sheep weren't for them. They had watched people go into these different uh, religious services and temple worship, but that worship wasn't for them. They, they watched the community celebrate and the parties of, at different weddings and the births of babies and everything, but they were never invited to those celebrations. Those celebrations weren't for them. Nothing had ever really been for them. And now the Messiah is born the Christ child, and the angel tells them, he's born for you, for you, for the dirty, for the excluded, for the ones that, hey, we know that somebody's got to do this dirty work, but we're just glad it's you and not us. The ones who nobody really knows their names. The Christ child, the Messiah has been born for you. And that's the good news of the gospel, you know. The good news of the gospel is not that you can kind of find your way to God. You know, I can't really preach any message that tells you, hey, here are the steps you need to take. Here's what you need to do to get to God. The good news of the gospel is that Christ Jesus came for you, that he left heaven and he came for you. Why? Because we could never get to God on our own. There's not enough steps we can run through, not enough hoops to jump through for us to get to God. God had to come to us. That's the good news of the gospel. And you see it at Christmas, that Jesus became man for you, for us. That's the good news of the gospel. The shepherds knew it. And it's almost as if the angels anticipated the question that the shepherds would ask, because the next thing the angel tells them is, hey, this is where you'll find the baby, okay? This is where, this is where you need to go. And they say that, and they're, you know, they're off, they're ready to run, but right before they run, what happens? This angelic host shows up, and everybody, I mean, it's a, just an incredible scene, and we try to ask the question sometimes, well, how much is in a host, you know? How many people are in a host? How many angels in this host here? We don't really know. More than a hundred, more than a thousand, we don't know. It's enough that the shepherds knew that they were surrounded by angelic messengers. And as soon as they hear where to go, what do they do? They take off running. With haste, they're hurrying. They want to see the Savior. They want to see the Christ child. And so they run. They run to see this baby. You know, it had been told that the Messiah would be born and that a Savior was coming. 
but he came as a baby. And, you know, there's something about babies, isn't there, that you can just kind of draw close to a baby? If it was a king, right? If Jesus just showed up like on his throne immediately, day one, full grown, the shepherds probably would have kept their distance. I don't know that I can get too close to this Messiah king. I can watch from a distance. But there's something about a baby that's inviting that you can come close and you can look and you can peer in. It's the same thing still true today, right? I remember when my kids were babies, strangers would come up and they would look at the baby and they want to hear the little sounds that the baby would make or touch their little hands, their little feet. There's something about a baby that in their, their innocence is just inviting. You want to come close to a baby. And we see it even at Christmas time, don't we? That the world will stop. They'll sing songs they don't even know what they're singing about the Christ child, a, a baby. And do they believe it? No. Do they believe the Bible? No. Do they believe in God? No. But there's something romantic even about this idea of a baby. And so they'll come and they'll, they'll look and they'll draw close. There's something about a baby that even today our society will stop and look and wonder and ponder. But make no mistake that that baby that you're looking at, the one looking back at you, He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the creator. He's the one who holds life in his hands. And he's the one who invited the shepherds to come, the dirty, the excluded. And that tells us something, too, about who Jesus is comfortable with and who he would be comfortable with because he would live his life with the dirty. He would live his life with the excluded he would live his life where those who felt themselves to be righteous would look and say, what is he doing? Who is he hanging out with? Why is he with these people? But this is Jesus. He's, none of that bothers him. And so the shepherds come, and they see this baby and they're amazed, they're, they're filled with wonder and awe. Here's the Messiah, the Christ child, it's incredible. And just as fast as they run to see the baby, they run just as fast away. And this time they're telling everybody. They're telling everybody about the Messiah who's been born. And you're looking at it and you're thinking, well, who's going to believe them? You know, who? well, people, they don't just dismiss the shepherds. They don't, well, you know, those guys are crazy. They're probably coming up with some kind of fairy tale or something. No, 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 they're wondering about it. They're thinking, could what they're saying be true? Is this real? They, they, they've captivated their attention, right? It, with the message that they're telling and sharing. And so the message goes out. They're running. They're telling. Because there's something about good news. It just has to get out, you know? Been in ministry, like, it's been a joy to do it for a little bit now. And oftentimes I'll be ask, well, hey, can we teach this discipleship class or this evangelism class or something like that would be really profitable? And I've done a lot of those classes, taught a lot, and that instruction is profitable, it's valuable, but can I tell you, in doing it, I'll, I'll tell you this, people who are just walking close with Jesus, when you're on fire for Jesus, sparks just fly. You don't have to train that. It just, it just happens. Sparks flies. These uh, shepherds, they had no training, most of them have probably never even been to the temple before, okay? They don't, they don't know any. All they know is the Messiah has been born. The Savior has arrived. This is good news for all people. Word must get out because good news always gets out. 
It's like a young woman who gets engaged. All of a sudden, she becomes left-handed, right? No one has to teach her that. It just, it just kind of happens naturally. She begins doing everything with her left hand, right? The ring hits the finger, and it goes out, right? No one tells her, this is how you hold your hand. She just kind of knows. It's the same thing with a relationship with Jesus. You enter that relationship, and what happens? I don't need to be trained. I'm just excited because I know the Messiah is here, the Christ child. I have a relationship with Jesus, and that changes everything. Good news must get out. The shepherds had the good news. They had seen with their own eyes. They were in amazement themselves, everything that had happened. And so the good news must get out. Because part of the good news is this. Jesus takes a world that is upside down and he turns it right side up. You know, sometimes you'll hear people say, oh man, Jesus came into my life and he's turned everything upside down. No, no, no. We're the ones who turned it upside down. Okay? He's just taking it and he's turning it right side up. The world is upside down. I mean, you just look. How much do we pay entertainers in our culture? How much do we pay teachers? Right? Does anybody ever sit around thinking, you know what? Our culture would be so much better if we just had more entertainers. You know, that's really what we need. No, no, no. But if we had more faithful teachers who love God and love students, that could make a real difference in our culture, right? See, we understand that. We look at it. The world is upside down. What are we chasing after in this world? A lot of people, riches, right? I just want more money. I want more gold. You get to heaven, the streets are paved with it. The currency of heaven is not gold. The currency of heaven is love, right? And so Jesus, he's turning things right side up so that we would begin to value what he values. You see that even with the shepherds because you look and does the culture value shepherds? Would they invite shepherds to a birth party? No, 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 they're excluded, they're the unfit ones, the unclean ones. You don't, you don't want them. I mean, if they go around and start saying, hey, guess what? Steve and Steph, they had a baby. We're saying, no, 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 just keep your mouth shut. We don't want the news coming from you. Right? But Jesus, he's not afraid of any of that. He invites it. Why? Because he turns a world that's upside down, right side up. Incredibly, Jesus would actually call himself the good shepherd. Yeah, it's a title none of us would use for ourselves in those days, okay? That's not a metaphor we would really want, okay? A good shepherd. No, no, no. Let's find something else, okay? Even a fisherman's better than a shepherd, you know? You can call me a good fisherman, something. No, not a shepherd. But Jesus takes the title, a good shepherd. And why does he do that? He says, hey, I'm a good shepherd because I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And what's more, I will lay down my life for my sheep, you want to know your value? You want to know your worth? It's what Jesus will pay for you. And what did he pay for you? His life. That tells you how much you're worth. It's, it doesn't matter what the world says about you. It doesn't even matter your opinion of yourself. It's what Jesus did for you, the one who made you. He said, I will pay my life to get you back. He knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. Jesus says that he'll never lose any of his sheep. Hey, that once you're his, boom, he's got you. One of the ways that we understand what Jesus is doing in our lives is he's restoring everything that was lost in the fall. Okay, that, that's, that's one of the ways that we can understand kind of what Jesus is doing 
in our lives. And so what did we lose in the fall? Well, we lost relationship with God. How can we be made right with God? Well, there's nothing we can do. What does Jesus do? He makes a way. He restores that relationship with God. Only he could do it. We couldn't do it in and of ourselves. Right? He restores what was lost. What else did we lose in the fall? We lost proper relationship with one another. Now we don't, we don't treat one another rightly the way, the way that we ought to. And so what does Jesus do? Well, he restores that. He teaches us how to treat one another rightly, and he models it for us. So you have all these sayings in the scripture, all kinds of th- stuff, like um, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Here's the model. Here's the example. Let me restore what's been lost. He goes on, fathers, don't exasperate your children. In other words, dads, hey, don't make it hard for your kids to believe that I'm a good father. Don't make it difficult for them to understand that I want to draw them close and I want to protect and provide and I want to teach and explain. Don't make that difficult for them to believe. he's, He's reclaiming what's been lost. Work in the fall because of the fall, what happens? Now the Bible says, hey, you're going to toil, you're going to, you're going to be working hard, there's going to be all this sweat from your brow, and sometimes you're going to feel like, does it even matter? Now I'm working so hard, and I feel like I'm not making any progress at all, does what I do even matter? And then in the New Testament, what do you get? You get Colossians, where Paul's writing, it says, hey, do all things unto the glory of the Lord, right? That your work does matter. In fact, your work is an act of worship, Right? He, he reclaims what's been lost. He gives purpose, he gives meaning, he gives value for everything. So in this grand plan of redemption, he also says, hey, come follow me. And as you're following me, what does he do? He sends us out. And he uses us to be part of this plan of redemption. We get to be his, his emissaries, his messengers. We get to be the ones who go and tell and who make disciples. We get to bring part of that uh, reshaping of the world that Jesus is ultimately doing. He invites us to be part of it. See, Jesus restores what's been lost. One of the ways that we see that happening in the lives of believers is, you know, most people in culture, we kind of live with this basic contract, you know, where I will love people who love me back. I will treat others based on how they treat me, okay? If you wrong me, you know, we can be best of friends, but then if you begin to wrong me, you start talking bad about my back, behind my back, and there's things about you and the way you're treating me that I don't like, well, that's kind of going to end the relationship. It's going to end the friendship. We're done. That's how most of us live, with this unspoken contract. I will treat you based on how you treat me. One of the things that Jesus does when he turns everything right side up is he says, Nate, you don't have to treat people based on how they treat you anymore. Now you're able to treat people based on how I view them. And so, do you see that with even, that's how he treated us, right? When we were sinners, when we were enemies of God, Jesus demonstrated his love, God demonstrated his love for us, and that Jesus died for us. He didn't treat us based on how we treated him. He didn't treat us based on how we love him. And so, He says, now I'm freeing you to do that. So you don't have to repay evil with evil anymore. Now you're able to repay evil with good. You you don't have to just uh, complain and talk bad about people. You can take a hit on the cheek and then you can turn the other cheek. Why? Because his love fills in the gaps. 
He, he, the Bible says that he's this fountain that's flowing within us. And it's a fountain that never runs dry, right? He's, he says, I got enough love that it can take care of all that. But I want you to show them how much I love them and how you treat them. Not according to what they do, but according to how I see them, to according to the value that I've placed upon them because I've created them. You understand, it changes everything. Jesus changes everything. We look at a story, the Christmas story, and we see these shepherds. You know, and today we, we do, we kind of romanticize that we like the shepherds and we, we picture them in a certain way. But understand, if you were back in that culture, you would not have pictured them that way. They would not have been the ones that you would have wanted to invite close and to come and be the ones right next to Mary and Joseph to see baby. No, no, no. You would have picked someone much more noble, someone much more valuable, respectable, trustworthy than shepherds. But you know what? That, that tells us something, doesn't it? Because maybe you look and you know yourself. And you say, ah, what would God ever want with me? because I know I'm dirty. I haven't always been trustworthy. I know the lies I've told. I know the things I've done. I know the regrets I have. And if I could take it back and do it over, I'd I'd take it back in a heartbeat. I'd do some things differently because I know my past. I know myself. It's the shepherds that give you a hint. God came for you. The Savior's been born for you. It's not the powerful, the elite, the perfect no, no. In fact, one of the things that Jesus would later say, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. I didn't come for the, the ones who think they have it all together. You know, that's the Pharisees' problem. They look at themselves and they think, you know, when Jesus comes, he's going to come for me. You know, he's going to want me to be the ones like sitting at his right, sitting at his left. I'm, you know, he's, he's going to want me on his team. Why? Because they have an inflated view of themselves. They, they think that they're righteous. They think in and of themselves they're good. And Jesus, part of the message is, unless you understand your own sin, unless you understand your own need, I can't help you. The shepherds let us know that he came for the dirty. He came for you. He came for me. Because in our sin, we're all dirty. And it's that recognition, that understanding. There's not a righteous one among us. And if we think we are, we're deceiving ourselves. And understanding that, it changes how we view people, right? Because now I don't have to look for the righteous. I can look for anybody because I know the power of God. I know what he does. We see that just in the story of the shepherds, that the good news of great joy is indeed for all people. Christ Jesus is for everyone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you are so good to us. This good news of great joy is is demonstrated in the birth of your son, Jesus, and that you would invite shepherds. For us, it's it's a curious choice that you would invite the unclean, the dirty, the excluded, But God, when we step back and look at it, we realize that, well, that's all of us. Uh, Compared to you, God, we're all dirty. We're all unclean. We should all be excluded from heaven. But God, we thank you 
that your son Jesus takes an upside-down world and our upside-down lives, and he turns it right side up so that we can be made right, so that you would take our guilt, our shame, our sin, and replace it with the righteousness of your son. God, help us to, just as the shepherds, they ran to see and then they ran to tell. May we do the same thing. We need your help. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.